1: Jake LaMotta, ladies and gentlemen. I'm the best. I can take him more than anybody. You're dead, you're married. Leave the young girls for me. There's no way I'm going down. I don't go down for nobody. Listen with them. Why does he have to make it so hard on himself? If you beat Trigger Ready, you'll get a shot at the time You feel that way? There's no one else around who wants to fight me. They're all afraid.
0: A lot of bad things, Joey.
1: Maybe it's coming back to me.
0: Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema. I'm your host Jimbo and joined once again by...
1: The lovable test baby Kyle.
0: The raging Cajun Kyle. Uh, this is episode eight two. We'll be talking about the sports movie Raging Bull from 1980. But Kyle, before we get started... Alright. I usually throw you a question or some odd fact out there. So, I know that you've been do, taking over and doing the awards for Terrence. So, I found something that's very interesting that showed up in our... Awards several times, and this is 10 movies that have been nominated for both an Oscar as well as a Razzie Award. Ooh, so, not okay. just something good for the Oscar, but the Razzie is the extremely opposite, as okay. in yeah, terrible. Exactly. So, number one, Pearl Harbor from 2001. Mm-hmm.
1: There's definitely some Oscar parts about it. It's more <laughs> of a Razzie film now. <laughs> uh, the Lost World Jurassic
0: Park in 1997. Ooh, I wouldn't give it a Razzie or an Oscar. I think it's just, okay. It was, what it was like the worst remake of a sequel, or worst sequel, or whatever. worst remake of a sequel. but yeah. remake of a um, you could Transformers:
1: Revenge of the Fallen in two thousand and nine. Oh god, I, I remember that for your consideration thing. So there was a huge like political thing, and like I think this was the sound editing they wanted for that movie. Armageddon in nineteen ninety eight. That is a Razzie all the
0: way. That's not.
1: <laughs> that's just not, not it at all.
0: Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Oh, that's from nineteen ninety nine. Oh. That's harsh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't Razzie it, but I also wouldn't Oscar. It. <laughs>
0: right. Uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas in two thousand. Was that the Jim Carrey one? Yep.
1: Mm. That's just a Razzie movie to me. But nah, I'm not a big Grinch fan.
0: <laughs> they the Razzie was nominated for the Kids Flick for the worst screenplay, worst remake or sequel it was also nominated for three Oscars, uh, Best Costume Design, Best Art Direction, and it won for Best Makeup. Mm, Batman Forever in 1995. <laughs> what
1: Oscar is that nominated for? Does it say? Uh,
0: let's see. It was nominated for the worst original song for the Razzie with Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me by or oh Kill Me by U2. Oh gosh. Uh, but it was also nominated uh, at the Golden Globes for Best Original Song. So, it's
1: just everything's wrong about that. Everything's yeah. wrong about
0: that. Suicide Squad in 2016.
1: <laughs> that one. yeah, Not the new one.
0: <laughs> uh, Jared Leto was nominated for the worst actor for his polarizing performance as The Joker. But it also won for like the best makeup and hairstyling. That's so weird. Uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney cartoon from 1996.
1: What? You can't Razzie that movie. That movie's a classic.
0: Oh, I'm trying to see what the Razzie was for the, the it. Razzie oh, cruel. Was nominated for the worst written film, grossing over $100 million. Okay. <laughs> that's not...
1: That's The Joker,
0: weird. 2019.
1: Uh huh. A Joker, 2019, got a Razzie.
0: Yeah, and it also won 11 Academy Awards, I think. Though, <laughs> so, um, like, so really for here's, here's, the here it is. Here's here's get this Razzies. one. Are you ready for this? This is how uh, this is how uh, the Razzies work. So, the Razzie that it was nominated for was the Joker was nominated for the Razzie of the worst reckless disregard for human life and public property, losing. To Rambo, the last Blood, So, <laughs> it did win the Razzie. It was only nominated. Don't forget. So. I, I get the joke they're saying, but it's still really dumb. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I thought I'd throw that out there. Thank the you for
1: sharing that. And uh, instead of like, I could do a dodge question this week. That's like for me. Well, actually, no, I lied. Here's the question. Oh, no. no. <laughs> kidding. kidding.
0: <laughs> so, Kyle. Um, we're getting ready to talk about this hard, heavy hitting, hard to watch movie. Mm-hmm. Uh but it is a very good movie. Y- yes. I don't yes. know how, I don't it's kind of like we just talked about with a Oscar nominated performance and a Razzie at the same time.
1: So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and dive into it. Kyle. All right, Raging Bull. Released on December 19th, 1980. It should be um close to this. I was this- uh, about 3 years old. Yeah, 1980. Yeah, it would be 2040, and I'd say 20 years ago. And I'm like, oh yeah, you mean the 80s? And they're like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, that's my life story. Um, anyways, um, directed by, of course, the legendary Martin Scorsese, who needs no introduction, because he directed everything. If it's a movie that's Italian-American, then a good chance Scorsese has something to do with it. Um, writers were Jake LaMotta for the, uh, of course, his biography and life story. Um, Joseph Carter, and Peter Savage, Paul Schrader, um, all part of the, backing uh, for the screenplay and uh, also uh, Marduk Martin Marduk Martin <laughs> that's a redundant name <laughs> we're also that for the screenplay Ted, uh, we have a budget of 18 million dollars in 1980 that'd be worth about 60.5 million today opening weekend we have a dreadfully low 128,590 dollars which would be the equivalent of about mm, uh, 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 got through the math real quick right there about 4.3 million dollars today, roughly. And then we have the gross worldwide came out to 23.4 million and about that'd be about 78.5 million dollars today. So still probably a bit of a, a box office disappointment as they say, because I'm sure there's also marketing for this movie that also you know extended the budget, went past the budget and everything like that. so sadly, an underperforming film. Technical details. we have a runtime of 129 minutes. Sound mix is a legendary Dolby Stereo. Color info: This is a black and white film with some brief home movie sections that are in color. Very odd, but unusual, but also tasteful, I guess. Aspect: In the aspect ratio department, we have a 1.85 by one. Then the camera: We have the Aeroflex 35BL, Zeiss Super Speed, and Cook. Uh, vir- <laughs> Veratil lenses. <laughs> I'm sure I pronounced that perfectly. And the film length we have for the Italian release, really, that's the only one we have here, is 3,347 3, meters. And for the printed format, of course, 35 millimeter in film um, uh, film quality. I <laughs> think that's wrong. Going forward, we have the uh Terrence Memorial awards section. He's not dead, don't worry, he's fine. Um, we should have been asked for a while. Making fun, just putting fun there. Um, we have all the awards, though, and we, of course, um, we're going to start with the first award I see worth um, bringing down here. We have the Guild for German Art House Cinemas. It won the Gold Foreign Film Award. Then we're going to the BAFTA Awards in 1982. It was nominated for the Best Actor for Robert De Niro. It won Best Editing and also won Most Astounding Newcomer to Leading Film Roles, Joe Pesci. Good for him. Next up, we have the Academy Awards, Good Old Oscars. It won the Oscar for Best Actor in Leading Role to Robert De Niro. It was nominated for Best Picture, nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Joe Pesci. And it was also nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role to uh, Kathy, Kathy Mor- Moriarty. Also nominated for Best Director, Martin Scorsese. Best Cinematography for Michael Chapman. And it won Best Film Editing for Thelma Schoonmaker. And it was also nominated for Best Sound. Next up, we have the 1981 American Cinema Editors Awards. It won Best Edited Feature. Then we have the Boston Society of Film Critics Awards in 1981. It won Best Film, Best Actor awarded Robert De Niro, and Best Cinematography awarded to Michael Chapman. Next up, in 1981, we have the David D. Donatello Awards. It was nominated for Best Foreign Actor to Robert De Niro and Best Foreign Director to Martin Scorsese. In 1981, we have the Directors Guild of America. It was nominated for the Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Motion Pictures. Next up, we have the Golden Globes, where it was nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Kathy Moriarty, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Joe Pesci, New Star of the Year in Motion Picture for Kathy Moriarty. Best Screenplay adapt- Adaptation for Paul Schrader and Mardik M- M- Martin. Then we have the nominated- Nomination for Best Motion Picture in Drama. Nominated for Best Director, Martin Scorsese. And it won the Best Actor in Motion Picture to Robert De Niro. Next up in 81, we have the Italian National Syndicate of Film Journalists. It was nominated for the Silver Ribbon and Best Foreign Director Award to Marge Sorsese. Also in 81, we have the National Society of Film Critic Awards in the U.S. of A. It was a second place uh, winner for Best Actor for Robert De Niro. Best Film, tied with Every Man for Himself in second place. And third place uh, uh, for uh, Best Scoring Actress, Kathy Morghardi of course. Best Director was written to Martin Scorsese. Best Supporting Actor, Joe, Joe Pesci. Best Cinematography to Michael Chapman. Then we have the 1980 Jubilee Award. It was nominated for Best International Actor, Robert De Niro. 1980 again, we have the Los Angeles Film Critics Association Awards. It won Best Picture and Best Actor, award to Robert De Niro. National Board of Review in US of A in 1980. It won the Best, um, the Top 10 Films Award. And Best Supporting Actor, Joe Pesci. And Best Actor, For Robert Nero. Going forward in 1980, we have the New York Film Critical Cycle Awards. Circle. Cycle, sorry. Cycle Awards. The Cycle of Life. The Cycle of (laughs) Life. The Circle. A Circle Awards. It is Circle. I'm getting my words messed up today. We have one best supporting actor for Joe Pesci. And that is the Awards for Raging Bull. (laughs) Moving on to my uh, debut part of my. Uh, debut, <laughs> debut. He's only been doing it nine, yeah. nine months, but hey, I've been doing a... it for nine months. It's my debut. This is my first podcast, everybody. <laughs> uh, my, I'm, I'm, I'm Kyle's um, new clone. It's fresh batch. <laughs> What, what, okay. they call, what was the what was
0: the uh, thing in the last Starfighter the, the, where he made the uh, the uh, what was he the uh, the computer thing that fell down? I remember, and he was oh just yeah up.
1: yeah the, the skin job after what they call yeah. it yeah 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 the change. Like I'm thinking like multiplicity when they had like that, that oh. knockoff guy <laughs> yeah. when the clone cloned himself like three times the copy of a copy and he was like nah. <laughs> the Michael Keaton, yeah. yeah Michael Keaton yeah Michael Keaton. All right, so going on to my clone debut of Raging Bull's cast, we of course have the legendary Robert De Niro playing Jake LaMotta. Um, uh, Robert De Niro, of course, legendary actor, needs an introduction. He's been in tons of other modern Scorsese films like Cape Fear uh, and uh, The Irishman and uh, Goodfellas and Casino and a ton of other films and all like that. Scarface. Also, yeah, Scarface, Taxi Driver, The Deer Hunter, which you covered on this very podcast not too long ago. So, a lot of great mirrors from Robert De Niro. Then we have Kathy Moriarty playing Vicki Lamada. Um, she herself appeared in other films, such as the 1991 Soap Dish and the 1999 film But I'm the Cheerleader.
0: And she so, appeared. See, so you were wrong, Kyle. I was trying to catch you to see if you could catch that. What? He wasn't in Scarface. That was Al Pacino. You said Scarface. I know, but I
1: wanted to see what you were doing. You're the cast. I, I assume you you do, you, right. the, you do the cast. I do the cast means I tell three movies that they were in, and then you just interjected with Scarface. And you, you just like, yeah, yeah, Scarface. <laughs> I'm not going to call you a liar, Jimbo, on this podcast. <laughs> I called you one. Yeah, No, no. I wasn't. I was going with the flow of the podcast. I wasn't going to say, hold up, Jimbo. He wasn't in Scarface. And then, like, nail it down your head. And, like, Jimbo was wrong, everybody. I
0: was waiting to see. I, was, you know, I always thought. It's a
1: fraud. See, I throw stuff out there to see if, if you if you catch I, it. That, I, I, obviously, I will, that would just I would just throw with your... anything you throw my way. If and, you tell me Robert De Niro was an alien, I would say yeah, sure. Then yeah. keep going with the podcast.
0: In Kyle's defense, when we first started talking about the podcast and movies at work, he he bought Scarface, but little did you know it wasn't the. Uh, it's like the, the nineteen eighties version. Like, yeah, it's like the old black and white. It black wasn't black. the
1: Al Pacino version. It was like one of the... It was like the original, man. Yeah, the, like the original way... Starface. And Kyle which... was never so disappointed when he pulled it up. What just happened to me? <laughs> I've never watched that version either. That movie well, probably has nothing to do with the album Pro-dial. version at all. It's probably like not the same product. Probably just the same title. Or as you say, the Robert De Niro version. The Robert De Niro version of
0: 1918. Wait, Kyle's into one of the, what do you call it, the Mandela effects? Where yeah. Robert De Niro was De Niro is
1: 200 years old. That's my internal lore. Okay, no. Robert De Niro, um, famously not a star of Scarface, <laughs> <Apologies>, <laughs> also so. appeared in The Deer Hunter in 1978, which we most recently covered earlier this movie. year. Also an excellent movie. Then we have Kathy Moriarty playing Vicky Lomato, who I already covered this part here. I'm getting redundant now. You've <laughs> messed me up, Jimbo. I've lost my place, so I'm going to keep going with it anyways. Hey, Kyle. So, yeah.
0: Kathy uh, Malata. Kathy not,
1: Moriarty. Not in Scarface either. Not in Scarface <laughs> either, to your knowledge. This is her film I'm going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, Kathy Moriarty. Yeah, she won the award for it. Um, Vicky Lamata, like I said. Um, so, Soap Dish 91 and But I'm the Cheerleader in 1999.
0: <laughs> but I'm the Cheerleader.
1: And she was back again with Robert De Niro in the, in the film Analyze That in 2002. Wow. <laughs> Joe Pesci plays Joey. Um, of course... <laughs> Joe Pesci, also legendary actor in his own right, appeared in many other Martin Scorsese films along Robert De Niro, including, you know, Goodfellas, The Irishman, Casino, Not Scarface, and he would also best recognize films such as, like, My Cousin Vinny or Home Alone 1 and 2. Uh, So, a great actor in his own right, great comedic actor, and a great dramatic actor as well, so really impressive, good um, body of work from him. Frank Vincent plays Salvi. Um, Frank Vincent also, like Johnny, like Joe Pesci and, uh, and a few other actors, like appeared in many other films with Robert De Niro, um, such as Goodfellas and The Casino. Um, of course, Frank Vincent also might be most recognized as his role in The Sopranos between uh, 2004 and 2007. Um, sadly, he passed away just in 2017 at the age of 80. So, He's sadly missed, but a good actor. He played a lot of great roles. Next up, we have Nicholas Calasanto playing Tommy Como. Um, he was in films such as. Oh, yeah, he was Ernie, um, a coach in the 1982 um, Cheers show um, for the first I believe only the first two seasons before he passed away in like I believe it was uh, 84 I believe when he passed away I think so so and he was also in the uh, film Fat City in 1972 and Family Plot in 1976
0: so, that's what yeah. that's we should say that the, my uh, studio is is it Fat <laughs> coming City coming to you live from Fat City it's coming to you live from <laughs>
1: Fat City everybody and just play like a potty noise on the <laughs> <laughs> we need a soundboard for this podcast sometimes <laughs> Okay, so we have, uh, next up we have Teresa Saldana playing uh, Lenore. I believe it's, yeah, it's Lenore. Um, she was in the 1978 film I Want to Hold Your Hand. I guess that has to be like a Beatles fan film to some degree. Um, then we have the 1984 film The Evil That Men Do, and the 1988 film The Night Before. Next up we have Mario Gallo playing Mario. Mm. He was in the 1976 original King Kong release, mm. he was also in the 1988 Revenge of the Ninja great title of the movie and the 1925 film aloha bobby and rose next up we have frank adonis playing patsy um he was in such films as goodfellas with uh, of course robert Nero and joe pesci and a bunch of other italian americans <laughs> he was also in the film ghost dog away the, the samurai with uh force whitaker <laughs> and he was uh, in vase ventura pet detective i believe he was like the um uh, the uh the, the chubby assistant to Ace Ventura, I believe, in the first film, if I remember correctly. Next up, we have Joseph Bono um, playing um, uh, Kudo. Kudo, I believe is his name in the film. Um, just like Joe Peggy, he also appeared with Robert De Niro in Goodfellas and the Irishman and Casino. Then we have uh, – he was also in films like um, Analyze That with Robert De Niro, and he was in the film Blazing in 2001. Um, I believe that's all the films he ever had Then we have Frank Topman playing Toppy Um, This is the only film he ever appeared in then we have Lori Ann Flax playing Irma, and this is the only film she was in. And then finally we have uh, Charles Scorsese, Martin Scorsese's father, who was uh, playing alongside of. Uh, let's see here, which character was it again? I believe it was. Um, he was actually with um, Nicholas uh, Colasanto, coach for the one thing with Tommy Como. He was with him doing his evening assistance. Uh, Charlie Scorsese apparently had many um like walk-ons for Martin Scorsese films, like a little brief uh, cameo of his father.
0: Well, he was also he also did the filming. Of- of the uh, wedding on top of the t- building scene yes until yes. he
1: fell sick or whatever so yeah so a little uh, yeah more yeah, yeah interesting actor in his own right there too and that is the cast of raging bull so jimbo Scarface, <laughs> take it from me take all right take it from me um
0: one thing that um everyone needs to remember about this movie is it's rated r and
1: it's rated r for a reason
0: mm-hmm.
1: um Oh, I guess I should I should cover it myself real quick too. For a very brief synopsis or plot summary real quick. This is about um the real life story of Jake LaMotta, a man who was violence who is whose violence and anger served him well in a boxing ring, but um left him alone in life in many harsh regards, and that's kinda like the very um <laughs> Yeah,
0: he's very um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um he's very <sighs> The word I'm looking for is like he's very uh, in, un, insecure, I guess. Is yes, the word I'm, I'm the very form. insecure, man. Um, he's very jealous. He's very um, hot-headed. Uh, he's just a very
1: violent man. In modern times, he might be described as bipolar, even um, being like changing moods on hand, hand, getting incredibly angry really quickly. And of course, of his immense strength as a boxer in training, he is a very dangerous man. Well, I mean, see, even to around. the point
0: where yeah. he's getting beat in the face and he doesn't feel anything. Remember, he's just like yeah, hit me yeah. in the face. He doesn't like, react to it at all. He's like, is that all you got? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really crazy. But going back to the R-rated filming, this. Uh, uh, the language in this movie is over the top. Um, so I did, in the notes, uh, the, the F word, if you will, is used 114 times in this film. To put it into comparison, Scarface uh, uses the F word 218 times. And Pulp Fiction uses it 271 times. So not as quite as many as those, but still enough that it's... Certainly in the ballpark where it's it's just it's 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 part of their common. It's kind of like, like over the top. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, yeah. just be prepared if you're going to watch this that there is a lot of uh, coarse language in this. Uh, a lot of movie. coarse language
1: in very you know uh, adult situations and not in a good way of like right. Well, uh, wife beating. Of, and yeah, yeah. Domestic of abuse, anger, uh, just in general mental illness depicted. In very uh, Yeah, drug use. Um, you know, like really, like it, it goes very, very dark in a lot of and sad ways. Right, and, uh, it's unfortunate to have a real life story about it, but also, I guess, uh, you know, it's a, it makes it for an interesting film. Um,
0: when uh, the real Jake Lamada saw this movie, uh, he made him realize for the first time. Man, I was a terrible person. So he asked his uh, the real Vicky Lamada. He's like, "Was I really like that?" And she, she says, "Oh no, you were worse." So that just goes to show you what kind of film this is. Yeah, so also um, in 1978 when Scorsese was at an all-time low after his last movie, New York, New York, in 1977,
1: the year I was born. Surprise! um, He's old.
0: That movie bombed at the box office. Um, Also, followed by a near overdose resulting from an addiction to cocaine, Robert De Niro visited him at the hospital and told him that he had to clean himself up and make this movie about a boxer. De Niro had asked Scorsese many times... But he had always refused because he didn't like sports movies anyway. But De Niro kept persisting and he eventually gave in. Scorsese, Scorsese believed that his American career was over anyway and he wanted to do one more final film there. And then moved to Europe to make smaller movies. Many, including Scorsese, claims that De Niro saved Scorsese's life by getting him back into work. And that this movie cemented like Scorsese's reputation as one of the most important American filmmakers.
1: That is well deserved, and yes, I agree. With that I totally agree with the with the film audience. That like, yeah, Robert De definitely saved uh, Scorsese's career, and, and in turn, Scorsese saved his career. Makes right. sense. They have a they have a relationship that is. Made millions <laughs> and made great films. Right. Um, also, producer Irvin Winkler was brought on in 1975 too with the uh, Martin Scorsese was signed on as well, and he first came to, involved with the film. It took him roughly five years for the script to be finalized, so it was clearly a struggle to adapt this film with the screenplay. <laughs> and as we go gone with some of the um, some of the details we may cover later, like some of the adaptation work, um, it, it, it was a th- it was a fine line between going too far or not far enough to try and.
0: Well, I think the actual the actual screenplay was written in only. Two weeks in the Caribbean, so from the screenplay to all the changes they made, probably took about all that time. You know, what just to I mean? be finalized right. and finished up
1: and get all the details sorted out. But it's still like it was like, you know, this is a it was a tough film to make. I think um, Ro-
0: Robert De Niro uh, basically he had Jake Lamata there with him, um, and he went through some extensive training, um, even to the point where uh, I think they said he went over a thousand rounds with Jake lamotta in a boxing ring. Okay. Uh, and that Lamata really thought that uh, De Niro had what it took to be actually a contender. Um, De Niro did enter three boxing matches in Brooklyn, and he actually won two of them. So I'm um, talking about taking your role to the next level. And we'll talk about it here in a little bit, where he adds the weight towards the end of the movie because that's really crazy. It's not prosthetics; he actually added no, he that actually weight did so. it for real.
1: Yeah we have that later on the film oh uh, yeah uh, speaking of also um, of, uh, Robert De Niro was training there they had a boxing ball that was set up just inside like the boxing ring for Robert Nero to punch between takes so it, uh, pro- and it they properly motivated him by playing music from The Clash and this is so that he would <laughs> I know I know it was the 80s <laughs> the late 70s but uh, yeah but this is so he would keep sweating in for in the movie though so it looked better than black and white to have that kind of reflective glossiness right. of the sweat so I mean, he clearly he kept training himself through the entire film even during shooting
0: right and, uh, so even even one of the reasons why it was made in black and white uh not only for you know authenticity of the period of the time but also to differentiation from rocky which came out in 1976, as well as rocky 2 79 the main event and 79 and the prize fighter in 79 so he had all these boxing movies come out um another reason was of course they didn't want to depict all the blood uh that it would take to do in that color picture uh so they used chocolate syrup uh in the black and white and uh he didn't want all that blood to be on the screen and not only that one thing he said that when he noticed boxing is that they always take that bloody sponge and put it down the the back you know and see blood and then uh the blood that would be on the ring ropes um he said that that stuff that stuck out to him he didn't want to did want to do it that way, so
1: no, I totally understand that. The only other movie I think of that used um chocolate syrup was like the fifth element. I don't know, psycho, oh, in psycho, of course, yeah, of course, was the first film that really used that, but also I remember the fifth element specifically because they there was a color movie that used chocolate syrup, so it looked very weird, <laughs> yeah. but in a good way, yeah. Um,
0: do you remember the scene where uh Joe, Joe Pesci and them are sparring uh, with Robert De Niro and he's he's hitting him in the stomach, remember, or whatever? Uh, he actually oh, yeah. broke Joe Pesci's rib in that scene. Oh uh, it, appe- oh, right. it actually that, yeah. stays in the film uh, De Niro hits Pesci in the side Pesci groans and there's a quick cut to another angle so he actually broke Joe Pesci's ribs Jeez. wow and also that uh, Pesci and De Niro lived together and trained together for some time before this filming began so ever since this time they two have remained
1: very close friends So I wonder how strong you know Pesci actually got for night. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still he's a He's a bit of a smaller guy. Yeah, he's, so. he's a man of stature. <laughs> exactly. Well, he, but he also, he's got that small man energy right. of just like I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up anybody. He's 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 already secured that rotation as a firecracker, basically, right. You know, for casino and films like that too. <laughs> so maybe he was a contender. Who after all, yeah. <laughs> uh, Robert
0: De Niro read the autobiography of Jake LaMotta while filming The Godfather Part Two uh, in 1974, and the media saw the potential for a film to make with his collaborator, Martin Scorsese. It took over four years for De Niro to convince everyone, including Scorsese, to get on board for this film.
1: Yeah. Um, J- uh, Jake and Joey Lamana both lived at the age of 95 years old. Wow. Good for them. Yeah, yeah. Especially for how hard the lives they lived lived 95. That's a <laughs> uh
0: Sound effects for punches uh, were uh, landing were made by squashing melons and tomatoes. Sound effects for camera flashings going off were sounds of gunshots. Uh, the original tapes were deliberately destroyed by the sound technician Frankie Warner to prevent them from ever being used again. Mm. So that's very interesting, too. Yeah, I, I always
1: think like, like, like there's a lot to like using realistic sounds and you want to to get that authenticity like but I do love when they go for full stylized like crushing fruits or making noises like that to actually convey how violent it is by like the actual destruction of an object it just gives it a lot more of a stylized more surreal and even like more uh, uh, it gives more punch to the punch <laughs> oh, that's hilarious, yeah.
0: not only yeah, we've really moved appreciate. on from the pirate jokes
1: now we're on the fruit jokes <laughs> it's, it's, you know Raging Bull was the inspiration for Fruit Ninja <laughs> oh, it's All a direct line breaking um, bull fruit ninja.
0: <laughs> Do you remember the scene where Joe Pesci and Robert De are like hit me, hit me, hit me. They're yeah. actually punching each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, also about back to the uh, Hershey syrup. They actually did use Hershey's cuz you could tell the difference in chocolate syrup. Exactly.
1: You know the difference. Uh, when it's Ro- good fake blood, Niro, it's Hershey's De Niro blood. wore
0: a nose prosthetic, so when he got hit, you know, the blood would just spray, spray everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. That was really crazy
1: to watch, too. There was definitely, like, some, like, over-the-top moments, too, in the film, of just like, almost Kill Bill levels of, like, blood just spraying everywhere. Like, that's a little much, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be
0: dead, right? <laughs> um, Robert De Niro gained a record 60 pounds to play the older Jake Lamana, and Joe Pesci actually lost weight for the same role, the same scene. Jeez. Uh, it was eventually the record, uh, weight gain was uh, broken by Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, who gained 70 pounds for his role as Private Leonard and the uh, Gomer Powell Lawrence in Full Metal Jacket. The
1: and only other like body transforming actor like who does like weight gains like that, like Christian Bale, also, off the top of my head, like I know, like,
0: uh, didn't like, Bridget Jones do it or the Bridget Jones's I read, what's her name? Uh, oh, Renee Rene Rene, Zella, Rene, yeah, Renaud was like I think her. she
1: did it too. Um, yeah, I know, like, Christian Bale, like, he went like for the machinist, he got down to like like 120 pounds even though he was like six foot tall or something like that or like it was something like even less than that but he was like skin and bones and then he went right on to like gain another like 50 pounds of muscle for the batman mm. like he bulked up too much for batman it was insane christian bale uh, insane actor um
0: the one reason that this uh boxing movie is different than movies like rocky um is that the camera was actually inside the ring for the fight scenes instead of being shot between the ropes mm-hmm. um Here is something else. The real Jake LaMotta was partially deaf for most of his life. So most of his anger probably came from not being able to understand what people were saying. Uh, He had 30% use in his right ear and 70% in his left. So that could have been some of the triggers for... Yeah,
1: so that could have been like, and that could have been a part of it, like injuries from fighting, something yeah. like that. What queen. you say about me? What do you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, and getting frustrated that they're not speaking up to you, and misunderstanding like that. So um, yeah, um, granted, this film, uh, I would say a little bit before um, how well we understood boxing injuries at the time, and how well those affect the brain. I mean, like so many um, boxers from that era, especially like have so many long term brain diseases or like brain issues now. So it's not surprising they would have violent tendencies.
0: Uh, the scene where Vicky Lamada is first introduced to Jake Lamada by the chain link fence was completely improvised by Kathy Morty and uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, to visualize, uh, sorry, to visually achieve Jake's growing desperation, diminishing stature, and perceptual distortion, Martin Scorsese shot the latter boxing or the later boxing scenes in a ring four times as large. Oh, which wow. I'd have to go back and watch it because that's probably showing how. You know, earlier in the film, when he's in the regular size boxing ring, he's on top of the world. Then, as he starts losing everything, you Lose, know, yeah, losing, yeah. he probably looks smaller in the ring. That'd be something to see now. That and
1: that, I, that you know, that's a visual indication for his own insecurity that he feels like a, you know, he's not good enough, asking teams to get beat in this fight. And right. So that's, that's some really incredible filmmaking from Martin Scorsese again. Um, just he knows what he's doing. Even if you don't know it, you see it. <laughs>
0: uh, so this film's basically broken down into the younger version the younger uh, Lamada then he gets married his family Lamada so that'd probably be the second one and then the third ones after his boxing career is up, I would say that's probably how you it's look about at
1: this. Three major, yeah, but like close to like three major parts. And like, I give a and interesting enough like you know like part of Scorsese's isms. If you were like he like he tends to make films about an entire persons' life, and I really appreciate sometimes like like Wolf of Wall Street and a bunch of other like Goodfellas. Like he takes it like from the beginning to close to the end of their lives, their entire story. So right. interesting to see that, and that's how it kind of gets divided in three parts. Uh,
0: the majority of this film, as we said, uh, Lamotta was shot as a younger man, including the boxing scenes were all shot first. Then production shut down for several months, giving Robert De Niro enough time to bulk up for his role as the older and much fatter La Mata. In those months, De Niro gained 60 pounds, as we have said, practically eating his way through Europe with big meals. De Niro at one point would eat a dinner heavy in pasta and drink it down with a vanilla milkshake before going to bed. I mean, that's just a typical Saturday night for me, Uh, (laughs) except chocolate, chocolate milkshake. Uh, it was his idea to do it this way. These scenes were generally shot with a minimum of takes, as zero one uh, became more exhausted
1: quickly. Just imagine how excited you'd be. Just, <laughs> just, or like, or like, like, imagine like you're a Marvel actor nowadays who does like that, like Chris Pratt six month workout routine. It's like okay, for the next half of the movie, you got to be real fat. So we're gonna shut down for six months, just pig out and just go just, just be laid in a just bed, <laughs> going home with a full cake.
0: Just be in bed in, le- uh, in bed with a belt.
1: <laughs> Bring the tub of ice cream. <laughs> I can't believe it's not a blue blue bell. He's so excited, like, I get to indulge.
0: Yeah, I just go to a buffet and just sit there. Uh, It's uh, awful, but also funny. (laughs) uh, No original music was composed for the film. All the music was taken from the works of an Italian composer named Pietro Mascagni. Mascagni. Yeah, uh, Martin Scorsese likes it because of the quality of sadness to it that he felt hit the mood.
1: Yeah. Uh, speaking of music, in Jake loves in Jake's nightclub scene in 1956, the background music is Frank Sinatra's recording of "Come Fly with Me," yep. which wasn't recorded till 1957. So it was impossible. He had a future record. <laughs> he had a record from the future. We no gotta go is,
0: back, to <laughs> back to
1: the future. Back the future.
0: Jake Lamada's brother Joseph um, actually sued the production for 2.5 million dollars for the film's alleged uh, alleging unflattering depiction of him.
1: Yeah Morgan Scorsese has been Also in hot water for that I don't know if we won Um, But I'm just Yeah I know I I, I don't know if it's still All going up I know we had another um, Similar lawsuit for the Wolf of Wall Street um, one of the um, sh- uh, stockholders whatever like sued him for his unflattering uh, depiction um, yeah um, going back to um, the bar scene I talked about again in 1956 in Jake Lamada's club the Jake asked the girl um, the girls that don't have ID's that they're 21 oh, yeah but the drinking age in Florida was actually just 18 until like 1980 so but
0: wasn't she only like 16 she was only 14 14 yeah, 14. yeah I was going to say
1: there's still a big difference there. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, huh? no. but still he's asking if she's 21 even though she only needed to be and what he
0: says he's though. like uh, and I think Lamada said uh, at the bar, he's like, "Well, uh, a pretty girl like you wouldn't yeah. be allowed in here. She Any girl like that I can
1: kiss like that, yeah, you know, can drink in my club." So That's... you just
0: kind of think, what what kind of character was Lamada in real life? You know what I mean? Like,
1: I don't know. Uh, highly imitated. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, although only a few minutes of boxing appear in the movie, they were so precisely choreographed that it actually took six weeks to film. Mm-hmm. and uh, that whole time it only comes up to barely 10 minutes of the whole runtime, which the runtime time was almost 3 hours
1: now, uh, yeah it, t- it takes only 10 minutes but it's a very important 10 minutes for the right. entire film if you don't have those right you, they are so the film falls apart uh, neither director of photography Michael
0: Chapman or, or nor Martin Scorsese could get the right look for the amateur Lamada home movies that comprise the only color sequence uh, in this movie if, if you watch this movie it's in black and white but when they show like the old um, home videos, I guess, with home the eight millimeters uh, eight millimeters. They're all in color, which I thought was really neat. Uh, both men gave in to their natural instincts for camera placement and framing, which was an antithesis of what they wanted to achieve. They solved the problem by asking Teamsters working on the set to handle the camera in order to give the uh, sorry sixteen millimeters, not eight millimeters, uh, the appropriate fill of the amateur home movies. The so, amateur home that makes sense. That's a good that's a good choice. Uh, in yeah. two thousand seven this uh, AFI uh, institute ranked this as the number four greatest movie of all time. Yeah. now mm-hmm. Kyle what's your thoughts on that
1: I think that's totally fair I mean it, it, as it's, number four of all time yeah. number four of all time I mean that's comes to personal judgment you know um, like especially if you're a person who's faced similar demons to as dick LaMonte clearly is facing in these films you may hold this film very dearly to your heart as you know an example of what not to do and what to strike uh, no be. I understand so that could, but what I'm
0: saying is out of all the movies we've covered I mean you're talking Gone with the wind Godfather a Wizard of all, all This Stuff and Psycho, and you're going to put this as number four.
1: Not personally. But no, but I'm just saying. Do you agree with it being number four? I'm okay with it. I don't. I. I. Yeah. I. I agree with it. It is. A, it is a very good film. It is. An, it is an incredible film, near perfect. So I, I'm probably fine with it being that high of regard. You know, like it wouldn't. Like I don't personally relate to him that way. So I wouldn't. It's not. It's, I don't hold it that dearly to myself. But to the majority of people, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah I and think, you I probably
0: think, think Die Hard's a Christmas movie exactly. too. Exactly.
1: <laughs> you that, were wrong there I too. I think the fifth element is the best Die Hard movie. <laughs> That's right. Uh... I said
0: it. <laughs> It was claimed that in this film that Lamotta was never knocked down, but in real life, Lamotta was knocked down by Danny Nardi- Nardico in a Danny fight Nardito. in Coral Gables, Florida.
1: Yep. Uh, speaking of the real life versus the um, the movie, the television commentary during Jake Lamotta's last fight with Sugar Ray when he loses the title, is the real broadcast of the of the bout. So they use the real radio commentary for the nice. film scene. I thought that nice sounded touch.
0: sounded you know different. distorted
1: the right way. Like it's yeah. too good. <laughs>
0: Oh look, it's our normal uh, sirens coming during while we hear big about. Jake lamotta. <laughs> Uh, Kathy Morty's hair was set with corn syrup Which caused problems in the exterior scenes Because bees were attracted to it oh god,
1: That's terrifying <laughs> That's terrifying
0: Oh my god Wasn't one of those you. old hairstyles Called the
1: beehive <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> In our uh, case it was very literal <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. De Niro had already been Very well acquainted with Jake Lamata since 1974 When LaMotta gave De Niro A copy of his biography Raging Bull My Story Which he signed with the words This is what he put on the book for the only actor who in the world could portray my crazy life. So Lamada said, hey, you know, mm-hmm. if anybody's gonna do me my, my my life story, you you would be the one. You get the They the... spent the entire shoot together, uh, so De Niro could portray his character accurately. Lamata said that De Niro had the ability to be a contender and that he would be happy to be his manager and trainer. Hmm
1: let's see the yeah, also yeah, the the biblical quote at the end of the film all that I know is that I was blind and now I can see was a reference to Martin Scorsese's film professor to whom the film was dedicated the man sadly passed away before the film was released so Scorsese credits his teachers with helping him to see hmm. so a little it's an amazing uh, an amazing uh, uh, dedication there.
0: No. Oh, by the way, the, the script that I said only took two weeks to write was on the island of St. Saint, Saint Martin. St. Saint Martin. In the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opening sequence, in which Jake prances around the ring in slow motion, which is a really cool scene. Uh, remember when he's dancing and fighting with this robot at the beginning? Yeah. Uh, featured the lighting from uh, photographers' flashes. However, the only, there was only one person setting off the flash bulbs. That was director of photography Michael Chapman running around the ring in a black velour tracksuit. So he'd flash one, run around in the background,
1: flash another. That's right. Yeah. um uh, speaking about other like the like the you mean the top form movie of all time this film is included in Robert e, Roger e, Roger Ebert's great movies list <laughs> um this was voted as
0: the third greatest sports movie of all time after Rocky in 1976 and Bull Durham in 1988
1: the fifth greatest sports movie of all third. time.
0: Third, third,
1: third. Okay, so what, what would be your other two on top of that? One?
0: Well, they say it's Rocky and Bull Durham. I like Hoosiers.
1: Hoosiers? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Major, Major League? League. I never actually, I actually <laughs> sat through Hoosiers. <laughs> oh, that's a great yeah, movie. Basketball, that's the best one. Oh, movie. no. <laughs> Dodgeball, a true underdog story. Uh, but,
0: I mean, but to have two, two boxing movies in the top three? I don't mm-hmm. know, man. Um, this is... I'd better just save that for later. <laughs> uh, I mean, you've got so many movies. You've got uh, Eight Men Out. You've got Rocky. You've got uh, Hoosiers. You've got Remember the Titans. You've got R.C. Blues. You've got Yeah uh, Major League. You've got uh, there's, there's, there's Field of, dreams. Uh, yeah, Field you've of got, dreams. You've got awesome. a bunch of them, so... Um, Rollerball. uh, What's Days of Thunder? Days of Thunder. Oh, Uh, yeah, Days of Thunder. Driver with. uh, (laughs) Maybe not so much. I'm just trying to think of bad movies. Kyle, you got anything else over
1: there? Uh, No, not here. Everything else I have is like small little film mistakes, and those I don't really find interesting, so I just kind of skip over them. All right, Kyle. Okay, final thoughts. Basically, or? let me know what you thought of *Raging Bull*. I think this is an astounding film. It is a difficult film to watch, but a worthwhile film to watch. Uh, truly, something that I find, you know, captivating and moving, and uh, disheartening in so many ways. It's a, it's a, it's a film that you could leave a little bit sad after watching, um, but also it can serve as a lesson for how to live your life and how to avoid some of the, the, the troubles this man has sadly suffered and brought onto himself. Um, but uh, overall, though, I think it's a fantastic film. I really enjoyed watching it, and I think I'm going to go back to it a few more times just to kind of uh, grow my appreciation for it and understand what they're going for and my own interpretation of it. Um, but overall, I think it was a pretty great film. Jimbo, how did you feel?
0: Man, it was. it's one of those movies that has been on my radar for years, um, you know, when you look at the top 100 movies, and, and the reason we do this podcast is for films like this uh, that I haven't seen, which forces me to watch them to mm. be ready for the the episode. Um, De Niro gives an outstanding performance in this movie, um, almost to the point where you
1: don't like him.
0: Um, I, oh, yeah, I, 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 it, it kind of made me mad,
1: even uh, from the end. I, I didn't see him as being redeemed by the end. No, like that. no, like he. And, it,
0: um, hopefully, the real Lamada f- uh,
1: found um, some closure in his life, right, some form of redemption. Right, something to, something to yeah.
0: because especially if he's asking, Was I really like this? and she said, You're worse. I wonder how that made him feel. Yeah. How do um, you come in terms of that? If you, you, know. if you can get through the language, because to me, that kind of took me out of the movie, because I don't need to hear that every two minutes of the movie. Mm. Um, and, and, and I understand, you know, when most Italian Americans or mobster movies. Because this almost reminded me of a mobster movie in a way. Uh, because, you know, you go to the bars, you go to the clubs, and, and well, they also, got the little. Sorskezi
1: like, has made so many mobster Right, movies, right. The just, Godfather they, and all yeah. that. Right. So, um,
0: to me, it was just. Um, matter yeah. of fact, Scorsese didn't even do The Godfather, did he?
1: No, he didn't do The Godfather, no. but of course he See, know, like Goodfellas. See, where were you
0: on that? I made a mistake there, too. Well, you The Irishman. I'm not going to call you a liar, Jim. Yeah, he's called me a liar. Yeah. But to me, it was well worth one watch. Will I go back and watch it again? Probably not for a while. Also, do I think it's it's a top ten movie? Probably not. Yeah. I do like the way they shot it, uh, the black and white. I like black and white films anyway. Mm. And the way they did that uh, was really good. But to, the the dive into the guy's life, man, it's just you never really understood what made him the way he was. Yeah. the you, you don't have no backstory to You don't know a lot about his life prior to him being in the boxing ring. You don't know a lot of the stuff. You know that... He's going after this guy's girlfriend while he's a married man. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and she was only she was young too. Once she she wasn't even uh, sixteen maybe or something. She wasn't very old either.
1: So I mean, he he is he is the portrait of an insecure man in so many generalities. like he like he has no cause, but he has all the symptoms of an insecure man. Everything he does is all about how he doesn't feel adequate. Um, so he just takes off with these um, ludicrous actions that destroy. He takes these self-destructive items, these actions, you know, so it makes it very hard to watch. Even though it's still a very accurate depiction of the real man and a tough film to watch for that reason, right? You know.
0: But I mean, he was he was hoping for at least a redeeming quality or something uh, at the end of the movie after seeing everything that went on in his life. You know what I mean? He was he was hoping for a happy ending. But it just kind of just stopped, uh, like at his yeah. nightclub. You know, I mean, he's well, going uh, on stage as a comedian. I, for,
1: for me, the, the the toughest moment of the film was definitely him in the prison cell punching against the punching the against wall. the wall, screaming right. "Why, why, why, why?" Of clearly recognizing that he brings all of these to himself, and he's kind of getting what he deserves. That's that was for me the only moment of like of a of a redemption of that he's realized that he is doing. Constant harm to himself and the people around him, the people he cares about, and but it was also because of his
0: involvement with those younger girls at that club member that he had to take his championship belt and he's mm-hmm. dig- digging the diamonds out of there and he's trying to take it to the pawn shop. He's like, Look, "I can give you like two thousand for this." He's like, "Well, where's the belt part?" He's like, "Well, you know, I, I kept it." Or he's like, "You should have just left it on here and brought the whole thing." Yeah, Would have whole been thing worth more been, yeah. right. So, uh, very, very troubling to see all what he went through. But it was a, it was a, it's a movie that's going to make you think. Um, don't go and watch it thinking that's just a sports movie about a boxer, a boxing ring. Yeah, um, this is not the, Rocky. Robert no, De Niro. This no. Is not I th- I thought it was a it was going to be about a, a a life story of of an actual boxer and see more boxing in it. You know, what I mean, yeah. this this dives from the boxing ring into a man's personal life. I guess is it's more about a personal life of the of the boxer than it is his boxing career. Yeah, um, and to see how um, just how. The drugs and everything took over where he could get punched in the face and just, he's like, hit me, you know. And he just said, is that all you got? You know, just hit me in the face. Because he's even telling Joe Pesci at a point, hit me in the face. Hit me as hard as you can, you know. Yeah, and it's coming to him, yeah. No, so very, very interesting movie. I'd say at least watch it one time um, if you can stand everything that we've talked about. Uh, the language, the violence, the drugs.
1: Yeah, um, like if you feel up for it, I think it's worth it. But also, I understand if you don't want to go because right, it, it's right. It same time. it's sometimes like it's it's a heavy movie. Uh, it, yeah, it, you can very. It is too real for a lot of audiences. I mean, like right, like, especially like if you've suffered through these things, things, watching that in the film can be very disheartening. I totally understand that. So like, if you think like I don't want to feel the way this movie tries to make you feel, I totally get it. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. So
0: um, I think uh, we're going to wrap up this episode next week. We are going to take a totally different
1: turn, a much more lightheaded turn, right?
0: We are. We'll be talking the on the seventh voyage of Sinbad. All right, uh, and good. it's a very interesting movie in its own right, that's but a lot more comical. So yeah, um, we'll have a good time with that. So with that being said, I think that's a wrap on this episode
1: and cut.